This podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Keep in mind that what you hear on Cold Truth, it is subjective. It is based on the perceptions of myself, the interviewees, and what is available to us, the public. We are not law enforcement. We are not prosecutors or judges. They are the ones, the only ones, that are tasked with the responsibility of serving out justice. My goal is to tell these stories to the best of my abilities and to gather as many facts backed up by documentation as I can. And if I cannot, and it is speculation or a scenario that I am discussing, you will know it. We can only truly understand the series of unfortunate events that led to the killing of Ray and Nicole if we look at the series of events that led to the decisions of each of the alleged suspects on what is contributing factors and what are not and why people do what they do. Every interview that you will hear, I have pulled from their interviews where they are discussing the timeline of events for this small period to not overwhelm the listeners. Had dated, is that correct? For a while. Uh, It was probably about a year, year and a half before he passed. I I just wanted to be friends. He wanted more. And that's kind of why we drifted away towards the end there. But, uh, I, no, I cared deeply for him. He was a great guy. He was, he was lonely, I think. I mean, we never lost touch. I always kept in contact with him because I always wanted to know, you know, that he was okay and what was new in his life and all that. He was just starting a brand new job. He was excited about that. I know that he was on sites, you know, looking for, to meet someone. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't really talk about his dating life too much. Okay. I knew he had friends that came over and, and saw him. You did. Um, that we, that we talked about, but not anybody that he was like, you know, serious about or, Mm -hmm. you know, that he was in love with. How did you guys meet? Um, We met online. Okay. Was it like a dating app or? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was uh, Grindr actually. Grindr. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was the setup of that apartment? Um, It was basically you walk in the front door and it was the living room, small living room. And then to the right uh, was an entryway into the kitchen. And around the kitchen corner was uh, the washer and dryer. And then um, if you went straight ahead, there was a wall. And then if you went left, there was a small hallway and there was a bedroom on the left, a bedroom on the right, and a bathroom on the right. And that was it. That was basically it. It was very Mm -hmm. small. It was like maybe 600, 700 square feet maybe it was a very small cute apartment really cute apartment very Mm -hmm. nice very very up-to-date very well kept um when i was there the water heater went out and they were immediately there to replace it yeah even i mean even the landlord called and asked him about my van being there because it had been there for like two or three days i didn't know who it was (laughs) so wow he's um, on it then Yeah, yeah. She she knew what was going on in that complex because she owned all of them. Okay, good to know. So, it wasn't a freestanding. No, no. There was another. They were like a, the same apartment was on the right hand side, so there were two units right next to each other. But that mm-hmm. was it for that building. To you walk up, it looked like a ranch, but it had apartment and apartment. Now, when he moved in, there was nobody living there. Mm-hmm. But when I visited him one time, somebody moved in. Bothers me that no one hurt. We haven't heard from anyone that heard anything. 
thing. And right, and I and they should have heard because we could hear them. It was a mother and do- uh, mother and son that were living together. They would argue, and we could hear them arguing on the inside of the apartment. So either they weren't home, or they're just one of them's keeping quiet because yeah. I they they had to hear it. They had to. Hmm. They had to. I saw them. I never met them. I saw them. Um, I want to say the son was like 20, 20 to thirty something. Uh, the mother was older. I think they only had one vehicle at that time, maybe. Yeah, and from what's being said, they stayed there partying. See, they would have had to hear that if somebody would have been home. They had to hear it. You Plus, there was uh, right across from Ray's apartment, there's another building that looks like his. Mm-hmm. And then across the way, there's another building that looks like his. So there's a total of six apartments, uh, three buildings. Are they all connected uh, by a parking lot? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not connected to each other, but by mm-hmm. a parking lot. Yes. Okay. The parking lot is right in the middle. Uh, there's an elderly woman that lived on the corner. Another mm-hmm. elderly woman that lived across the way on the opposite corner. A single guy that lived next to her. And I don't know who lived next to the older lady on the right hand. Side. Yeah, that helps a lot just to get a lay of the land. I, I'm telling you, they had, if they were partying there, one of those neighbors had to heard or seen something. Some cars there that didn't belong. Well, I knew on the left-hand side, the older lady and the the apartment closest to Ray, she, I believe, was homebound and her daughter would come and, you know, take care of her. Or the guy, the single guy that lived next door to her, he came and went all the time. Him not seeing anything wouldn't surprise me. My name is Angie, and I am Ray Hanish's niece. We had talked on March 6th about his apartment. March 5th, we talked a little bit. He was checking in on me and my family. He had told me that on March 5th about paying bills. and Did he have a job at the time of his death? This is when he was switching jobs. He had just started new jobs. They hold it for another two weeks. You know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, that was on March 5th. And I usually stayed with him Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And Tuesday nights, I'd drive to Valpo for trash night. I was with him the night before. Had you text him on the 12th at all? Tuesday? No, because when I woke up for work, he was asleep. And I never woke him up before I left. Okay, so you were there on Monday night. Yes. Was there anything unusual about that night? No. And then the 12th, you don't talk to him. Yeah, it was through Messenger, and it was the early morning of the 13th of March. We were messaging back and forth. I could tell by the way he was talking that it was him. It was the same kind of verbiage and everything? Yeah, I knew it was Ray I was talking to. Have you gone back and looked at those just to make sure? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, sure have. Would you mind sending me a screenshot of that date and time? Sure. Was there anything off? Was he excited about anything? No, not really. It was just a, the usual chit-chat, saying how happy he was, and it was great. Did you ask him, like, what he had planned for the next day, or? No, I sure didn't. The night that he was killed, he had messaged me. And then that's when days later that we found that he had been killed that night. And it always just something just struck to me in my head, like, why? Why would he randomly message me, say, hey, tell me that he loves me, and then that's it. I don't take anything as a coincidence. I think there's a reason behind everything. It's just suspicious to me. Do you have the date of when that was? It was March 13, 2019 at 12, 18 a.m. He said, hi, baby girl. And I said, hey, and then he said, love you. And that was it. And that was all March 13, 2019. And at 12.53 was when he told me he loved me. A.M., so that would have been around the same time that he was Facebook Messenger with Cher. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. He started messaging with her around 10. 
9.29 p.m. Yeah. And then they messaged till about 2. Was he a night owl? Oh, yeah. Used to work night shift, I'm pretty sure. When he had worked at that veteran's home, he was working a night shift job. So he kind of got used to that, sleeping through the day, being up at night. I guess I just assumed because it was 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, no one would be coming over. But I guess it kind of just depended with my uncle's work schedule type deal, you know. I'm just wondering if they were on their way over there to his house when he was messaging back and forth with you and Cher. Right. Or they could have already been there and they could all been hanging out and, you know, yeah. bullshit, you know. we That's what sucks is we just don't know. On the 13th. And then I stopped by his house. I tried texting him during the day to let him know that I was going to be there that night, which I normally did. That was the night that you had come around 4.30? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we had the, the date of... Was that unusual for him not to respond to you? Yes, it was. Unless he was at work. And you probably assumed that because his car was gone. Yes, I assumed that because his car wasn't there, which is why I tried texting and calling him. His door was locked because he hadn't gotten me a key yet. Did you just stay there for how long? or? Uh, I waited at his house 45 minutes to an hour. And then you just went ahead and went on home? Well, I went back to uh, Lafayette and stayed there that night because I was hoping to get a hold of him because it was a less of a drive. And then that next day, Thursday... I started texting him about mid-morning because I figured if he worked any time through the night, he might be up. And I texted and texted and called that day and never heard from him. Ray had not responded to any of my phone calls or text messages, so it was unlike him. So I became very concerned. I waited until a Saturday to report him missing because he had to work and I knew if he was okay, he would be at work. And uh, that was on a Saturday. Charles Ray Hanish was 49 at the time of his death. He was living in Reynolds, Indiana, and formerly a longtime resident of Hebron, Indiana. With Ray, he doesn't have a criminal history. His He had a criminal misdemeanor in 2001, and otherwise there is nothing, there is no drug charges, no, no nothing. Ray was not of the same age as these suspects. He was not in the same crowd. Ray had a home. He had a job. He had a license. He had his nursing license. He worked at a nursing home. At the time of his death, he had started on February 20th of 2019 at Monticello Healthcare. We have heard from a family member of Ashley Garth that she did work by the nursing home that was by Rural King. Now, when I looked this up, Rural King and Monticello Healthcare are pretty much in the same parking lot. However, we do not know when Ashley was working there. She could have been working there at that time. She could have not. We simply do not know. I would love to verify that. We do know that Ray was on Grinder, which is a gay chat. We do know that he had moved recently, some issues with his stomach. He was seeking treatment for those. We know that he does not have a drug history, so to speak of, from his family. There was one that mentioned that he might have mentioned that he tried meth in his past, but that there isn't anyone that actively saw Ray using any kind of drugs. So he does not fit in with these suspects. So that begs the question, how did they meet? As far as Ray Hanish's 
Facebook timeline, I did want to add a few excerpts from what he had to say in his about me. I am a loyal friend and a good listener, but a fierce fighter if provoked. Not afraid of confrontation if necessary. I stand up for what I believe in and will fight for what is right or what I truly want. Injustice makes me crazy. I am looking for someone who is genuine, faithful, and sincere about his intentions. Someone who is not afraid to share all that he has and all that he is with someone who is willing to do the same. You can never go wrong with telling the truth. Sometimes when friendships or relationships come to an end, it's a difficult and awkward thing to have to discuss, face, and even accept. But the one thing I stand firm upon is that people need to be careful as to not leave permanent scars on someone else's soul. Everyone has feelings and sometimes those feelings can be very fragile. When I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of what Ray would want right now. He told us in his own writings what he would do. He would fight. He would fight for what is right and that injustice makes him crazy. Well, it makes me crazy too, Ray. And he also said, which I I just, I love it. it. When I read that, it just really touched me. He said that one thing I stand firm upon is that people need to be careful as to not leave permanent scars on someone else's soul. How true is that? How true is that? Ray had his gastric bypass surgery in 2013, so it had been quite a long journey. He had lost over 200 pounds from 2013 to 2017, which is when he updated his Facebook status with the news of his brand new life. He says that it was a painful period in my life, and it's now behind me, and he thanked his mother for taking such good care of him. Also of note from his Facebook, we see that he tagged himself as starting a new job at Monticello Healthcare on February 20th of 2019. Ray was a licensed practical nurse. Ray's very last Facebook post was on March 13th of 2019. He tagged a friend named to a song by Khalid called Better. And Sunday morning, I don't live in the same area that Ray was killed in. The office, the sheriff's office from county I live in came to the door Sunday morning. Actually, he said to me, do you know why I'm here? And I said, yeah. Because the detective the night before said he may not be able to file the report since it was in talking about two separate counties. He said, if I can't file it tonight, there will be a deputy from your county show up tomorrow morning to file the report. So when the deputy asked me if I knew why he was there, I said, yes, because that's what I thought he was there for, was to file a report. Of course, offered him to step in. He said that they had found Ray, you know, in his home, deceased. Of course, I, I just went blank. It was like I couldn't cry. I couldn't yell. I just went blank. It's like, no, this can't be happening. And Roxy was at my house at the time, along with my grandson and a few others were there. And I told him what the detective had said, but he said he didn't really have any information of any kind. All he knew was that um, he had been found in his apartment deceased. So he gave me the phone number of the coroner and I had to wait and call him. And his wanted to know if he had any identifying marks. No one ever identified Ray. They didn't ask us to come down to identify him. They wanted to know if he had any identifying scars or anything that would tell who he was. But he didn't say much of anything as to the cause or anything. And so I had conversations with him 
trying to find out what was happening and what was wrong. And uh, he said that they believed that it was natural causes. So they led us to believe that for month that it was natural causes. Mm-hmm. didn't give us any reason of what the natural causes were. And so then um, when it t- come time, we were very wanted to be cremated. They said that the coroner told us that he did not know if we would be able to have a, an open casket because he had bruising. Now, he did say that bruising can happen when a body lays for a certain amount of time um, deceased mm-hmm. and fluids collect and it caused discoloration that can't be covered up. But they did say that he had a lot of bruising on his hands, arms, and face. In my mind, he was struggling. He was fighting for his life. Might not be the case. I'll never know. And I don't think that even the coroner or the uh, sheriff's department could tell me that. But knowing knowing that he was bruised that bad made me think that he fought for his life. So that's, yeah. that's how we found out about Ray was like four days after his murder. I was on edge a lot, not knowing. My mind went a million different places. I think kind of human nature to think the worst, why we do that. But so many things go through your mind. His car was stolen, his TV, his cell phone, and uh, his wallet. They found his car Saturday night, which I think was very quick because I reported around 4.30, 5 o'clock Saturday evening, and they had found his car Saturday night in Lafayette, was murdered in Reynolds, all in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Did anyone come around to his funeral that was out of place? I had sat there and looked around for so long, and to be honest with you, there were so many unfamiliar faces for me. It was just not a good day either, and I was just looking around for something that, you know, struck my attention. There were so many people there that were there for Ray that I never even met. Well, and he knew so many people through his work. Impacted so many people's lives. It's too hard on yourself that you don't... (laughs) But sometimes people are so creepy that they stand out. Right. Kind of looking around for a little bit, too. I was just kind of like, you know, what if? And we had so many different theories and different stuff running through our head. During that time of my uncle's funeral, we weren't even 100% sure of how he had died. So it was just, it was all up in the air. So who are you to Nicole? I am her aunt. I'm her Aunt Ginger. When was the last time you physically saw her? Probably two, I would say about two weeks before that, because she was hanging out with my oldest son. What kind of a state of mind was she in at that time? Oh, she was her normal kind of self, still at a distance, but she kind of acted like her halfway normal person. Did she have her new car at that time? I don't think so. I don't remember seeing. Of course, no, tell you the truth, she wasn't in her car. She came here with my son, so I don't know if she had it or not. Does he remember anything about those few weeks before her death? Because I've asked him. She told him that she was kind of seeing a new man. That's it. Here and there at the time. That's all he really remembers, too. Did you guys ever meet Garrett? No, no. So you don't, he doesn't know who that man was. No, because he had never seen her. And my daughter also, because my daughter ran into Nicole and they were hanging out and um, she just remembers Nicole telling her the same thing. What city? What town? Lafayette. Lafayette? Yeah. So they don't really remember? All they know is Nicole was boasting and bragging about this new man that she met. And that's all they really remember and that he was cool. <laughs> Did they remember her selling any TVs? Nope. Yes, yeah, she was oh. at Ray's house. You've just heard that from, you don't know that from your family or friends, right? Right. 
and I can get yeah. into the the week leading up to her being found if you want me to right now or if you want me to wait. No, you can because I, I, I heard it all. I don't know if she has either. Dottie, Nicole was found on a Saturday, March 30th. So we're going to back up to the Sunday before that, okay? The beginning of the week, that Sunday. Two Indiana state detectives were in our living room trying to find Nicole. Wanted to know if she was here because that's the address they had for her. Well, she wasn't here. She wasn't allowed to live with us because of her choice in life style. And the judge told her that she was not allowed to live in the same house with her boys. So anyway, she still left it as her address because she didn't really have an address. So Sunday, the detectives were here. Tuesday, she's on the she's talking to her sister about she's in trouble. She needs help. And her sister, who's two and a half years older, told her that, you know, she's got to help herself before Brittany and and her husband will be willing to help her out with anything. You know, she's got to get herself clean. I don't believe that that's what Nicole meant when she said she was in trouble, but that's how her sister took it. But they were going to meet Saturday at the gym at the Y and work out together. Well, Wednesday, Nicole showed up here at the house. And she was all excited because she got a new car and she told my mom that she was going to have the plates and and the title and every and the registration and everything was going to be mailed here. So keep on the lookout for it. And my mom said, OK, so my mom was face to face with her Wednesday, Thursday. She calls Ginger and she tells her that she's in trouble and she wanted to know if she could sleep in her garage. And Ginger said, hell no, you're sleeping in my house. And I guess she needed to talk to Ginger and. She didn't want to do it over the phone. And Ginger said, when you get here, we'll sit down and we'll talk. You know, we will, Cole. We always do. I'm your Aunt Ginger. She never showed up Thursday night. She never showed up Saturday morning to the gym. And then Monday evening, we find out that she's dead. And that's how that week went. So that's how I'm in my gut thinking that she was going to turn those people in, Dottie. I'm going to be reading a message that was sent to Nicole's sister with the permission of her mom and sister. On March 25th of 2019, the message is as follows. B, I'm in trouble. So do you care if I'm alive or dead? Question mark, dollar sign, real talk. Her sister says, I care, but I am in no position to help you change your life. That is up to you. March 25th at 8.04 p.m., Her sister says, what kind of trouble are you in? On March 25th at 9.01 p.m., Nicole says, I need a place to stay. Her and her sister had also made plans to go to the gym together. They were supposed to meet on the 30th, but as we know, Nicole never did show up to meet her sister at the gym. This is a statement from Nicole's grandma. My recollection of the night of March 27th, 2019... Nicole, my granddaughter, stopped in around 8.30 p.m. She stood in my living room and we discussed the fact that she was having her new car title and license plate mailed to my home. I told her that I would contact her when they arrived. She then asked to see the boys, but they were both already in bed. She told me she loved me and turned and walked out the door. That was the last time I seen my granddaughter. Leading up to when she was murdered, when had you talked to her? The last time I talked to her was the Thursday before she was murdered. She had called me on the phone 
Okay, and that would have been on March 28th of 2019, was yes. a Thursday. Okay. Yes. She had asked me if she could come and stay sometime, and I said yes. I said, you know you can stay. You can come and stay anytime you want. And she said, well, I'll just come and sleep in your garage. And I said, no, you're not. You can come in the house and sleep in the house. She knows my garage is kind of set up like a, an apartment, I guess. But mm-hmm. I told her, no, it was too cold. I didn't want her sleeping out in the garage. It was too chilly. She told me that she would try to come later that night. So I kind of stayed up a little later, hoping that she would just swing by because I knew something was wrong. She wasn't acting herself. It's like she wanted to talk about something, but Mm -hmm. she just couldn't at that time. So what was the energy you were picking up on? Was it like nervous, scared? She was kind of nervous. I could tell that she wasn't. It's like she was scared, but. I don't know what she was scared about. She was nervous, kind of jumping all over the place with talking to me, just trying to not say something, you know? Because normally, whenever Nicole would call me or text me, she'd always be upfront about things, okay? She would always say, hey, Aunt Jange, can I borrow $20? No problem. Always up front. She didn't have that up front with me. Hmm. So I knew something wasn't right. I knew something was going on. I just knew by the way that she wasn't giggling or joking with me that something was worrying her. Maybe something just wasn't right. Did you get the feeling that someone was listening to her talk to you? I kind of felt like maybe somebody was around her and she just couldn't say it. Or say what what was bothering her, maybe. Yeah, she was nervous. I could pick up the feeling that she was nervous and kind of just, yeah, I to tell you the truth, I kind of felt like maybe somebody was listening to her. So that's probably why she didn't say anything. Or it could have been just nervous to talk about it over the phone. See, with Nicole, she was a in-person type of person anyway. When it comes to major things like boys or whatever, she'd come see me. Mm-hmm. or if she had problems with her husband, her ex-husband, she'd come talk to me. That right there told me that something was different. And she kind of did make an appointment to talk to you. Right, she did. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to come talk to me. But, but she didn't get to. Right. Did you ever have time to become alarmed about her being missing? No, not really, because that was just how Nicole was there for a while. Mm-hmm. Here, here at the end, I mean, she was, if she needed somewhere to lay down and sleep for the night, she'd just go stay with a friend, one of us. She would pop in, and then we went and see her for a few days. <laughs> Do you know where she was living or staying at that time? Basically, Nicole was living out of her vehicle, and she would stay with friends and family. Nicole was 30 years old at the time of her murder. She was from West Lafayette, Indiana. Now, Nicole did have a criminal history. Nicole's family does say that she had addictions, she was battling demons, and that she was trying to do better, but at that time, she hadn't quite succeeded. Her criminal history goes back 2013, when she was arrested on a criminal misdemeanor of public intox on September 8th of 13. I won't go into all of the criminal history. She is charged unlawful possession of a syringe on July 8th of 2018 in Tippecanoe County, which is a felony six. Her address is listed as 631 Ferry Street, Apartment 2 in Lafayette. 
at this time, Nicole was sentenced to the Tippecanoe County Community Corrections. She completed her sentence on September 7th of 2018. Remember that date because this is where we feel she met her killers. And that is all we have for Nicole. Her file was pretty short in comparison to the defendants. And I find it I find it sad when you see these kids that are put in the system at a young age for minor infractions. I mean, come on, it's a public intox and she's put in jail. I don't care how long. And then you put them on these probations that are just about impossible to follow and to not, you know, not violate. And sometimes I often wonder if the system... Like in this case, this very first case from 2013, in October, she failed to appear. And the court issues a warrant for her arrest, and the defendant is ordered to be held without bond until the hearing. Sometimes when you look at these, you just have to wonder if they hadn't been thrown into the judicial system, into the county, local, and county jails, if things had a not, might have turned out just a little bit different. We all know that when you do go to jail, you're going to meet people that just may influence you to make even worse choices than what you were there for, which was a simple public intox. And it just seems like a lot of these cases, they're all converted because they, they never get out of the system once in, even if it's for something minor that they were originally arrested for, like a public intox. I really hope that this podcast can shine a light on that issue. And I do not want to sound like I am taking away the accountability of any person especially these defendants, because at some point we all make our own choices. We can all decide what path we are going to take. And they simply did not make the right choices. But at the same time, because of the way my brain is, I want to know why. I always have, I've always had to have to know why. So I hope you understand that it is not, it is not my intent to bring any positive attention to these defendants. They do not deserve it. I have personally seen them in court and the way that they act, they do not appear to be on any drugs, which I find a very lame excuse for bad behavior. They are flippant, arrogant, dismissive, disrespectful to the 10th degree. And they're allowed to be this way in the courtroom. And and I have trouble understanding why there isn't more restrictions on the way that they are allowed to behave. But I guess that is your human right to smile at the family of a murdom that you helped murder or murdered and carry on and slouch. And But to me, it's hard to watch because they show no remorse So no matter where their criminal history began, they are where they are now, and that was solely their choice. They could have made different decisions, and they didn't. But because of the way I am, I have to know everything that I can possibly know about everything to try to figure out the psyche of it and how this series of unfortunate events led up to the murder of two humans. 
Now I'll be reading a little bit from Nicole's Facebook timeline that I felt was important. On February 21st of 2019, she writes, Depression, anxiety is a pretty confusing thing. One minute you could be the happiest girl in the room, then all of a sudden you blink, you're blue, and the world changes. She was clearly feeling down and going through some things. On March 12th of 2019, Nicole shared a meme that says, My biggest mistake is thinking that people care for me as much as I do for them, but in reality, it's almost always one-sided. On this same day, she shared a meme that says, No offense, but F you for using me to make you happy until you felt like you didn't need me anymore and left me wondering where I went wrong. On this same day, she also writes, Bye, I got my car, that's all I need. I don't need none of you facing ass people to come around my way for nothing. Leave me the alone. On March 18th of 2019, she shares a post that says, I'm in the country where my country ass belongs. And she shared a couple pictures of herself. You can tell that she is in her car and a picture of her boots. On this same day, she also shared a meme that says, Be careful what you tell people. A friend today could be an enemy tomorrow. On March 19th, she shares another photo of herself, and it says, She's jealous of me, LOL. It seems like somebody had hurt her. Um, a lot of talk of and sharing memes, which seem to be pretty popular on social media as a way of people putting into words what they're personally feeling. You see it a lot, but I do find that those memes do tell us a, quite a lot about that person and what they're going through at that given time when they share it. And then on March 25th, she shares another meme and it says, Anyone that really gets to know me either falls in love with me or wants to murder me. Sometimes both. And on this post, on March 25th, Garrett Kenneth Kurtz comments, Concrete shoes, bitch. F around and find out. She replies, Point proven, period. L-M-A-O. Nicole's last Facebook post was on March 25th. Although the content has been removed, I don't know what it said. But on March 24th, we do know that she personally posted, I just want to go fishing and ignore all my adult problems. I'm doing these Facebooks because people really just let it all hang out there online and they pretty much give you a blueprint to their day-to-day -day life. And it's no different with this situation here. How rare, maybe it's not so rare, I'm not sure, but you have the person that you later found out murdered her in a torturous way actually commented in her Facebook post, concrete shoes, bitch. F around and find out. That is a death threat. We are not dealing with intelligence at its finest here, guys. Not in the least. And remember that date, March 25th, 
and then remember the last contact that she had with her sister. What did she say in that message? She said she was in trouble. That was on the same day that he threatened her on her Facebook profile. Think about that. I'm in trouble. Was it something more? Did Nicole know anything about what had happened to Ray? Is jealousy and fighting over a boy he really was a boy to the both of them. Worth all that happened? Is that really all it was about? I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. It's not like Garrett and Ashley were not on again and off again. He had other girlfriends that survived. You can tell that he's completely using Nicole to make Ashley jealous. They were not in a serious relationship. What could the real motive have been if it wasn't jealousy and a love triangle? Could it have been the killing of Ray Hainish on March 13th, not weeks before Nicole was killed by this same group of people? Garrett has confessed to have been there and that he accidentally killed him. In the group and on other podcasts and in conversations, we have learned from the family that they believe Nicole was there and that she had possibly stolen or sold Ray's TV. It is speculation for me personally, but they do seem very confident that they do know that Nicole was at Ray's house at some point, just that they do not believe that she took part in any of it. But it seems like Maybe that's what she was going to tell Ginger that night, and she needed help. She'd been asking, and you can't fault them. I mean, how were they to know? And her sister did everything right. Was she scared of something more than not having a place to sleep? From the timing of it all, you can't help but wonder if that is, in fact, exactly what happened with Nicole different things that have been said in the Justice for Ray Facebook group. Someone had asked what the motive for Ray's homicide might have been, and a commenter commented it was entrapment. This guy tried to do the same thing to me, and throughout the post we it was discussing all different kinds of things, but basically what the motive was for Garrett Kurtz killing Ray and to see a comment from someone that when I did kind of look into him I did see that he is also a gay man living in Indiana and he I believe that he did know Ray personally so it makes you wonder what he meant by that if Garrett is targeting gay men say it was an app like Grinder, and he had done this to someone before that's huge that is a motive right there and it shows premeditation it shows forethought and it shows a targeted crime which could be interpreted as a hate crime if you think about it and then i'm going to read something that roxanne his sister had wrote during the cleanup of his apartment the police didn't see any reason to collect as evidence a bullet left behind a ton of cigarette butts with dna on them as well as a cell phone which when i myself took the cell phone home and charged it and went through it 
I found messages between this Ashley and my brother. Obviously, it was her phone and she was there. However, the police claim no connection because the phone hadn't been used since December of 18. They said, what does that matter? It still proves she was there. Had they investigated any of this further, maybe, just maybe, they could have prevented Nicole's murder. I am very, very sorry for the loss of Nicole's life. One thing I have to ask is why wasn't the media or news channels alerted when my brother was killed just two weeks prior to this in Reynolds, Indiana, and left to rot in his apartment before we finally found him? Not one word in the papers on local media, TV stations, or in social media asking for help or any leads in the death of him, or the whereabouts of his car, TV, wallet, and credit cards that were all stolen. Here it is five months later and we still have no answers, only more questions. Every time we call the police, we are given short answers. We can't tell you anything for fear of jeopardizing the investigation. Is it because my brother was gay and they are covering something up? I don't know, but I damn sure want some answers. In all of the times that I have spoken with the family, I guess I have missed that not only was the phone that they found took home and charged was Ashley Garth, but that there were messages on that phone between Ashley and Ray. That changes everything dramatically. What if Ashley was the woman that he had got a message from the same night that he was killed asking for money? All right, we're going to cut off right there for today because these episodes just got a little bit too long. Because both were killed, I'm not going to be able to do that part in chronological order. Ray's is not yet classified as a murder. Garrett has confessed to killing him in a rough sex act gone wrong, but we feel some of the others might have been there as well. And that's why I decided to start the next segment with their criminal history and Facebook timeline. Thank you for listening to Cold Truth. Music by Taylor. Thank you. Means so much to me. It's really nice to be original and not use lame music.